Hi, I'm Yvonne Villarreal. And I'm Mark Olson. You're listening to The Envelope, the LA Times podcast where we go behind the scenes with your favorite stars from TV and film. Today's guest stars in a show that has, in a way, become part of my morning routine. And that's because this is what my alarm sounds like. You listen to this every morning? I don't know why you sound so shocked, Mark. I mean, the way those piano chords can, like, energize my spirit, it's unmatched. And the succession actor I spoke to for this episode agrees with me. This sounds maybe lame because I'm in the show, but I watch the shows as they air. And when that song starts, I do get pumped for the episode. (laughs) In case the voice wasn't enough of a clue, I got to chat with Kieran Culkin, who plays Roman Roy on Succession. He starts off the show as this sort of foul-mouthed, wisecracking character. Hey, hey, motherfuckers. Roman. Uh, my guy? But as Succession progresses, Roman becomes more influential at his family's media company. You know, he has this loyalty and savviness that earns him the coveted position as his father's number one boy. For everyone, and Matson knows how to get there. We can't afford to walk away right now. Must be worth a conversation, son. Uh Uh-huh. Bring him in. So after hiding in the shadows of his other siblings, Roman is finally in competition for the top seat at Waystar Royco. But then in season three's finale, the unexpected happens. The Roy siblings banded together. It all starts in a scene where Roman and Shiv try to comfort Kendall as he confesses to being involved in the death of a waiter. No, seriously. I mean, you crashed and then what? You did, you ran? No, no, I mean, I tried to get him. You did? Okay, see? That's... I, I dived a few times. This sounds like the story of a hero to me. I would have been straight out of there. Serious, I would have been out of that water like a tabby cat out of a bath. <laughs> Don't, man. It's a surprisingly tender moment. Well, I thought it was tender anyway. It's going to sound bizarre because I don't think Roman was actually trying to make Kendall feel better. I think that that was actually his point of view. I think it was, it really doesn't sound like you're responsible for this guy's death at all. If it pleases the court, it sounds like you didn't kill him. It sounds to me like... He killed him. Rome, I'm a piece of shit, man. But the road in the water killed him? That's what it sounds like? No, man. Don't. No, seriously. I liked it because it's like as close as they can get to feeling anything for each other. And um, Roman sort of puts his hands on Kendall's shoulders. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like, a, I can do this because I know this is something that people do. Um, uh, I'm not even sure how much comfort he wants to give Kendall. Maybe he does. Uh, so, uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that necessarily opened up anything new uh, for Roman. Yeah, I think it was. Oh, you're a tortured soul about this. This isn't anything. This, yeah. This is like, yeah. I mean, sad. Somebody died. People die all the time. Uh, you didn't even know him. You even tried to save him, which I would not have done. Uh, so good on you. You're fine. Shut up. Get up now. We got work to do. Who hasn't clipped the odd kid with a Porsche? Am I right? Yeah. 
I mean, it's like a rite of passage. I've killed a kid too, big deal. Shiv, you've killed a kid, right? Uh, yeah. A moment that I think everyone was talking about was the final scene where the Roy siblings unite and go confront their dad for making a big decision about the company without them. We can stop you. And we will stop you. Blow this up. You need our vote for a change of control. Yeah. You need all of us. You need a supermajority, and we can kill it. And we will. You're playing toy fucking soldiers! What was your reaction when you first read that scene? This is really kind of odd to say because um, in any other job I've worked on, I want to know the full scope of the story. I want to know exactly where everything is going to go. I, you know, in this show, I found myself saying to Jesse, no spoilers, please. I only want to know as much as Roman knows and I don't want to know where it's going. But about halfway through shooting the season, because of how far away we felt from Kendall, I could have visualized a way where things could get sort of friendly, but I thought from a business point of view, there's just no way we would get together. But I asked Jesse, I said, careful not to spoil anything, but if is there ever a point when we sort of side with Kendall again? He goes, yeah, that that's how the season ends is you guys, uh, <laughs> he, just, he just blurted it out and told us, and I went, you son of a bitch, I didn't want to know that. I do think that even though this literally makes me want to vomit, I want to kill you both every day and it's all going to end horribly, I do think that we puke could make a pretty good team. As we were getting there, you know, the reading the script for episode eight, I was like, I still don't see how. I just don't see how this can happen. And I'm like, well, I'm sure he's going to pull some sort of clever trick because he's so freaking smart and he always figures it out. And he did. And I remember reading it and thinking, you son of a bitch, you figured it out. We push him out. Full coup. Yeah. Slide him out. Say, Ken, chair, uh, you or me, Rome, CEO. And the other one takes whatever they want, like studio, movies, TV, the streamer, but, you know, equal. Okay, but really equal. A lot of people know by now that you originally were asked to audition for Cousin Greg, but mm-hmm. you were drawn to Roman. Tell me, like, more about what fascinated you about this guy who, like, walks into a corporate office saying, hey, hey, motherfuckers. Like, why did you feel like you had to be him? Uh, that's that's my tummy. Um, I really don't know what that is, but I know I started reading Cousin Greg and just immediately was like, I get it. I know who this guy is, but it's not me. I couldn't, I can't do that. And then with Roman, I just knew I could. I just felt like, you know, I liked his voice and I really uh, clicked with it. It was like pretty much every syllable was like, I completely understand who this guy is. And that almost never happens. Um, But I cannot tell you exactly what that is. I wouldn't be able to, I mean, I'd have to try to analyze it and you know i don't know how much time you got i'm still trying to find a therapist so if you if you have any good <laughs> i have to try to figure these things out together yes we can we can work through this okay good i know that you are wary of having him be a sort of chandler Bing type of character can you explain <laughs> that shit did i like say that in an interview did somebody else say that it was you it was me shit um <laughs> i remember saying that to Jesse, but in a way that I wasn't trying to be confrontational. I was, I was just like throwing ways like, oh, you know, I'm just worried that in this scene, if 
there's just a couple of jokes here, and I'm just worried that I'm like becoming the the Chandler Bing of Succession. And he was like, "Oh, Chandler Bing, you think you think you're?" And I realized I completely offended the writer by telling him that like you're you're Chandler Binging me. Um, and I didn't mean it that way. I just meant like because some he's you know a lot of times he's the disruptor, and sometimes we finish the scene and I go, "Why do people keep inviting Roman into these meetings when all he does <laughs> is just disrupt, make fun of people, and then you know." He gets invited to the next one. But if you go back to the the first season when he walks in his office and is overrun by those emails, I actually feel like at least the choice that I made was that Roman didn't really understand what his job was. He was just going to blag it until he could figure out what it is. A bit of content and a brand name's kind of the whole game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, who are we <laughs> laughing at? I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Look, you're going to be captain of this shit soon enough, so yeah. I don't... Oh. And from personal experience... Whenever I try to do that, there's never a moment when you realize that you actually know what you're doing. It just happens quite gradually. Yeah. And I think that's what's been happening for Roman in, in uh, particularly in this last season. And um, so his disruptions and his like jokes actually have some meaning and, and purpose behind them. They're not just to try to make people laugh or whatever. I, I saw that, you know, he, he's not exactly Chandler Bing, uh, <laughs> but there's worse things. We we love Chandler Bing, but that is not the the path. I freaking that... love Chandler Bing. Are you kidding? Like I should I should be so lucky. Could I be okay? Never mind. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> All right, Jesus. Um, when when you talk about playing Roman, I you've often said things like, "I don't really know why he does that." Like almost as if you're letting Roman sort of take over your body or something. Would would you describe it like that? No. Uh, sorry, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's um, fair. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same as, like, I have no idea how I move. I didn't even realize that I was, you know, apparently I sit weird. My my wife was showing me that there's, like, people that put together uh, videos. I'm sure there's some sort of cool little millennial word for whatever it is I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm, it's not necessarily a choice. It's just something that happens. I guess that's how right. Roman sits. I don't think mm-hmm. I do. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. pay attention. I learned this... When I was about 18, uh, it's like the moment you put words to it, you're going to become too aware of trying to make that thing land and you've got to do it. And it, it's that would almost be fine if you were doing the scene by yourself. I think if like stand up comedians listen to their material a lot of times or they watch back because that makes sense. You're trying to find the rhythm. You're trying to like work with it yourself. But when you're working with a partner, you're trying to get something to land and you're both aware that this person is trying to land a specific moment and they are trying to receive it and now we're suddenly doing a performance instead of something being alive. Um, and that's the approach I take with succession. And thankfully it's been sort of a perfect mixture of different actors and writers and everybody that for the most part have that same sort of approach where we go, let's just see what happens and we'll, we'll find it. But even that is quite different from the sort of technique that Jeremy strong takes, right? I mean, I was really fascinated by the discourse about Jeremy Strong's process that was sort of detailed in that New Yorker piece. Like, it Mm -hmm. was fascinating to see how people read that piece. And one of the things was the exchange the two of you had of discussing succession and whether it's a comedy. Can you tell me more about that conversation? I mean, it's in there. He just said he was worried that people were going to think it's a comedy. And I said, I, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, now it's when I say that it's it's always to me been kind of silly to just categorize things as comedy or drama. Uh, and our show is 
it's it's really hard to put in a specific category, but because people do, I think it's like, oh, it's a one hour show with serious themes, so therefore drama. But that doesn't mean it can't be without humor. To me, the whole show has humor to it, everything. Um, and anything that is dark or sort of hurtful can't be impactful without it being somewhat funny. Uh, to me, some of the hardest stuff to watch in the show is uh, Tom and Shiv's relationship. And I find myself laughing because it is kind of painful. Uh, you know, that wonderful scene they had on the beach where Tom says to her, like, I think the the unhappy of being uh, of not being with you, I'm butchering it. I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. And that hit me right in the gut and I laughed. Uh, uh-huh. because it is kind of funny and not like a sort of quippy joke joke kind of way but I think every everything in that show that is kind of heavy is there is something sort of darkly humorous to it uh, and I, I guess he may have a, a different opinion than I do so were you surprised by the response to that article I mean people had really it was interesting all the different reads on it well, the one thing I'll, I'll say, I mean, he is definitely defi- de- dedicated, defecated. Wow. He's he's definitely defecated. <laughs> um, he's definitely dedicated, but so is every single other actor in the cast. I think everyone is completely committed to this and works extremely hard. Um, I think you can't just like show up on a show like this and sort of blah, blah, blah your lines and deliver a great performance and go home like you have to put in the work. So his is just, I guess, to the outsider, I guess it seems unusual. Uh, uh, but, you know, there, there are other actors who work this way. I think I, I watch the way Matthew McFadden works. I watch the way Brian, like, Brian sometimes has long speeches that he's only been given the day before. And, you know, he works on them all night. He works really, really hard. And that's after, like, a 12-hour long shoot. He's got to then memorize a new speech that came in the day before. And he stays up late and has to get up at 5 a.m. to go do another 12-hour day where he has a big speech that he has to nail in one take because we don't really do, like, pickups and stuff. We run the whole thing like a performance, and he's a professional who's been doing it a long time. Uh, but it's not something that's just second nature. He works really hard. Right. Well, while we're talking about cast members, I need to ask about Roman and Jerry. And, mm-hmm. I don't know, German, Rory, like, do you have a preference for their couple name? I want to respect What was that, preference. German? What was the other one? Rory. <laughs> oh, like my brother Rory. Yeah, uh, uh, that one is the weirdest one for me. So let's go with Rory. Yeah. <laughs> you and Jay Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry, are friends in real life, and you've worked with her husband Kenneth Lonergan plenty of times. Um, you both shared how this started off as improv that sort of became a storyline after the editors saw it. Where did you think it would end up, or how far did you think they would take it? I, that's something that sort of happened naturally. It just for some reason felt right and safe to be like inappropriately flirty with, you know, general counsel. Like it just felt right. She's been <laughs> a part of the family for a long time and be like, here's a safe space. I'll say something kind of gross and flirty and, you know, and see where it lands. And it always landed well. She always kind of rolled her eyes and was like, oh, yeah, I'm so shocked. Uh, and it was just fun to play. So we did it most that season without them really like catching it because a lot of times it was in the background or after the scene had finished. So the fact that they caught it and wanted to explore it a bit was uh, just exciting. I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but it, it seemed to be working for us. So I'm, I'm glad that they, 
they liked it and kept wanting to go forward with it. Well, they had an alliance going, but in a way, like, Jerry and Roman sort of end up on opposite sides at the end of season three. Jerry, 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 Jerry. He's not well. You can help us, right? You can help us stop him. Well, I'm focused on whatever outcome best serves the financial interests of the shareholders of the company. But it doesn't serve my interests. How does it serve my interests? Do you think this work marriage can be saved? I I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I'm not trying to be that guy, but I actually mm-hmm. try not to think too far ahead about that stuff. I'm a fan of the show, I'd say, first, and then I'm a guy who works on it. So I'm really curious to see where that goes. Um, it's always the right choice, even if it feels like it's wrong, like I talked about earlier. Like, how could he possibly align with Kendall? And they're like, wow, they just figure it out. Um, so, like, even that moment on page, I thought, like, oh, that's kind of brutal. And I, I don't know how, like, how Jerry sort of feels in that moment. Like, is it strictly business? Is it like, thank God I hated this guy. He annoys me. Or is there something else there? And I think on another, with another actor, there might have just been sort of one layer there. Or there could have been something else with Jay. There was definitely something she was withholding. And it's hard for me to even read it as I watched the show. And, and even in that moment, it was like, I remember looking at her sort of pleadingly, like, say more. <laughs> There's something else you want to say, Jerry. And you're just saying, how does it serve my interest? I think in a way she was actually asking, show me how this serves my, like, if you can give me something convincing, I can maybe be on your side. More with Kieran Culkin after the break. If you're enjoying this interview and want to keep up with future episodes, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. We'll be right back. And we're back with Kieran Culkin. While you may know him today as Roman Roy on Succession, Kieran's credits include classics such as Home Alone, Father of the Bride, and Igby Goes Down. He actually got his start as an actor when he was just six years old. For the people that don't know, you famously come from a family of actors. Your father, Kit, who was also an actor himself, like led you and your siblings into acting as children. And I, I want to know, like, what parts, like, of it did you like and what parts of it didn't you like when you were younger? As a kid, I actually really enjoyed it. I, it was it was fun for me. The only thing that I can recall being tough was uh, just being away from home because, you know, it's me and my six siblings. It's, there's seven of us. So it always felt like I was away from the pack. Um, mm. My mom tells me that when I was little, uh, when we would come home, she would open the door and I would always have to go in last. I would refuse to go in because I needed to make sure that everybody got in. And I remember I was always the last one to fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep until everyone else had. Um, wow. So I had this sort of like wolf pack mentality when it came to like us as a as a family so i remember that being hard mm-hmm. being on set was great uh tutoring the, the three hours of tutoring you have to do on set was a pain in the ass um it's it's so funny i'm 39 years old and i still shudder at the idea of a, a, a ad coming to me and say you got to go uh-huh. back to school <laughs> you have a nine hour day of shooting and one of those hours is lunch and the other three are school so you only get five hours to do the actual shoot and that's all i wanted to do and sometimes they would ask to say, we'd have to cut into your school time. I'd be like, yes, yes, let's do that. 
Is there a thing where like, do you learn to ride a bike later than you would if you weren't doing this stuff? Or like, I can't imagine like not experiencing and don't barf, but not experiencing like the scholastic book fair, like those things seem like pivotal for me. But like, maybe I wasn't sharing a scene with Steve Martin either. Right. Oh, I didn't miss out on stuff, if that's what you mean. Like, I, mm-hmm. I it wasn't like I was I was on the road all the time with, with the my time. pappy. Like, yeah. Uh, but no, but for the most part, I would be like gone for a month or something like that or uh, two months, maybe um, usually getting to go home. And that could be kind of tough. But then I'd go home and it would pick right back up where it left off. Like I kind of miss school, but sometimes it was actually OK to leave school and come back. Uh, I think when you're 12, you look really cool doing that. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was away. I was I was in Montana. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm here now though, so it's cool. For anyone who doesn't know, your brother is Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone fame. Like, what did you learn from Macaulay's experience with fame as a child? Because that seemed intense. So, as like yeah. someone observing it happening, what did you sort of take away of like I don't like this part of it, or I like this perk of it? I think if anyone had the sort of overnight fame that he had and they were you know middle-aged and otherwise well-adjusted it's a big punch in the face it's i think that's a very hard adjustment that i have adult friends that have had that um are still struggling with it and still haven't quite figured out certain aspects of it so take that except now you're nine years old and your your brain is still developing and you're still trying to figure out how to be a person and now this is sort of thrust upon you um he he has a uh, it's a one of a kind experience that you know I can't really speak to. Uh, you'll have to talk to him about it. Um, but just observing it was like, oh, I get it. Fame is awful. One mustn't pursue this. <laughs> uh, it's it's not that nice. I mean, which isn't to say that if you know people have found a comfort in it or figured out how to do it or really enjoy it, that that's anything wrong with them. That's good on you. There are people that are professional celebrities and some of them that probably love it but i feel like if you're an actor you want to act or whatever kind of performer you are that's something you really want to do i think a lot of times that thing just is the uh sort of burden that comes with success you want to be successful because you want to keep doing it but then because of the, the field you chose that means you'll have to deal with that well how do you handle it now that you're recognizable to people in probably more than you were in the past. I live in New York, which is probably very helpful um, because people here don't really give a shit. <laughs> There's a lot of like, oh, you're on that show. Right on. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of things like that or like people really won't bug you. There was a woman today. I took my um, daughter to an indoor playground today and she says something, something like uh, people who do this are so annoying and I'm sorry to be one of those people. I just think you're great. I was like, oh, thanks. And she goes, have a, have a nice day. <laughs> And left it. And it's like you could tell she felt shame that she said it too. So it was like it, it was. It's a nice version of it. Mm-hmm. I I know you weren't really into the whole press thing either. Like, how are you doing with that now? Like, are you hating this interview? Like, no, this is fun. This like, is fun. No, no, no. Okay. This is this is fun because this is just a conversation about stuff I like to talk about uh, myself. No, <laughs> um, no, because that was an adjustment too. That was something I hated doing as a kid, and then like. You know, I remember doing Igby and then having to do press. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. I did it. Um, and it's over and I don't want to analyze it. I Leave me alone, you know, sort of disgruntled teenager. Uh, but I've come, I've adjusted to it. I think it would be very difficult 
if I was working on something that uh, was maybe not the best thing or I didn't feel that confident about or I didn't really know how to talk about it. Um, no, but like, I actually really like talking about succession. Well, I think what's interesting, too, is like we're in a time where there's a lot of analyzing of things both like in performances and TV and like really, I mean, I know there's been articles with therapists like breaking down your character. <laughs> okay. I know that you have a pretty fractured relationship with your father, Kit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if for you as the actor, are you sort of channeling any of that father-son dynamic when you're playing Roman? Nope. Nah, not, I mean, at least not that I'm aware of, but, uh, I'm, I have enough awareness to say, nah. Um, but to be honest, like, you know, people carry that sort of stuff with them, whether they're aware of it or not. Uh, but that one doesn't have as much weight as it, as it seems to an outsider. I think, um, I mean, use the word fractured, fractured doesn't necessarily mean that like it's, I, I wish I could find a better word for heavy uh it it isn't that there's no real weight there um he stopped living in our house when i was like 12 and i have seen him like once since so i know that that sounds really awful and sad or whatever to someone on the outside somebody who may have had a a bond with their father or something but it to me from my experience it was the most natural progression of life it was like good he's gone um but yeah no there's nothing there's no that at least i, I don't look at Logan and go, oh, Kit, or something. Uh, they're they're actually quite different people, too, so that doesn't really help me. Um, we have amazing material to work with, and, um, like, look at Brian, I got a great scene partner, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you've been acting for a long time, but I know that Succession specifically ignited a sort of new passion for you in regards to, like, seeing acting as your profession. Yeah. What satisfaction does acting give you now that it didn't before? Yikes. Satisfaction. Shut up. Um, (laughs) uh, Gross. Uh, I'm so satisfied with my performance. Shut up. Ugh. Satisfaction. No, it's it's probably a perfectly reasonable word to use. It's just, what would, what word would you use? Just this is enjoyment. Um, Stop it. I don't know. It's a job. It's my um, enjoyment, fulfillment. I don't know. Okay, remember I talked about earlier saying that, like, that moment of, um, like, sort of fake it until yeah. you, you know what you're doing, you know, lag your job until you know what it is you're doing. I think it was, like, it was actually a, it was a movie I did just before Succession where uh, it's called Infinity Baby, and it was, like, three weeks really low budget independent movie fun really fun time but uh i remember i was like for the most part i was the oldest person in the crew and i remember thinking like oh this is that moment where i realized i've been doing this a long time and i'm not mm-hmm. a, a youngster to this anymore uh i remember having that moment on that film but then working on succession i remember telling my wife like i think i want to do this for a living um and it was working on the show hmm. i mean this is like an exceptional job i think this is something very unique and um, it's sort of my it's my first venture really into tv um mm-hmm. from everything i've heard from people that have done a lot of television this kind of situation is very uh unusual and i know i'm very lucky 
So to say, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I think when I go to the next thing, I might feel like I'm a, an imposter again, which is completely normal. If there are any actors right. listening, like the that feeling of like, I'm an imposter. I don't know what they're doing. These people know what they're doing. Like, no, 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 no. Like, that's a, a very, very normal feeling. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I went off on a little rant there about imposter syndrome. <laughs> Do you know if the writers have sort of opened the room yet? For- I heard they have about a week ago. I think they just started. So mm-hmm. I have... No updates. I know nothing, and I never and will. And you don't want to know. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I'll when I get the the <laughs> table read script. That's when I'll I'll have an idea. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking this time. It was it was really lovely speaking with you. Yeah, lovely speaking with you too. I hope it was satisfying. <laughs> and that's the last one I'll do. So that's the gross. last one I'll do. <laughs> That's a wrap on this episode of The Envelope. I'm your host, Mark Olson. And I'm Ivan Villarreal. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow The Envelope wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review and check out our other episodes featuring A-listers like Maggie Gyllenhaal, Halle Berry, and more. This episode was produced by Hiba Elorbani and edited by Jasmine Aguilera. Our engineer and composer is Mike Heflin. Special thanks to Shawnee Hilton, Clint Schaff, Tova Weinstock, Amy Wong, Chris Price, Ross May, Patricia Gardner, Jeff Berkshire, Elena Howe, and Matt Brennan. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>